This morning I'm going to start out by giving you a little glimpse at the tricks of the trade of a preacher. Uh, not, not tricks as in things to catch people out, but um, tricks of the trade as in how best to get things done, how best to do the job that, that God's given us to do. And so just like a builder has tricks of a trade um, and they just know how to do stuff, uh, mechanics have tricks of the trade and they can fix things in a few minutes, it would probably take me a couple of hours, um, Preachers have tricks of the trade too. My job as a preacher is to take God's word and to open it up for you and I to understand in a way that helps us to understand, remember it and apply it. Okay, that's, that's, that's my job and I'm hoping that you guys, through what we do here, will learn more about God's word, help you to understand it, remember it and apply it. And one of these tricks of a trade for preachers is stories. Uh, most Sundays you've probably noticed that I try to have one or two stories that help us to understand whatever the lesson is for the day. Because stories really help us to remember. Um, they really help us to, to um, apply it in our lives as well. And Jesus did a lot of his teaching by stories, only he did it for exactly the opposite reason to what I do. Uh, one day the disciples asked Jesus, listen Jesus, you, you use a lot of stories and we actually don't get them, but uh, why? Why do you use stories? And Jesus said, well, I use stories so, so that this lot don't get it. Now that, that's a really surprising answer that Jesus gives. You see, with the parables, a parable by the way is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Did everybody know that? You know that kids? Have you heard of the word a parable? It is an earth, say it after me. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay? Right here. So with the parables, um, unless you listen to it and wrestle with it and think about it and dwell on it, you're not going to get it. And with the parables of Jesus, only those who are truly seeking God and who are longing to hear from God, it's only these people who actually get anything out of them. For everyone else, it just ends up a story. They'll never scratch beneath the surface and they'll never get anything out of it. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, I'm really hoping and praying that you guys are hungry for God, that you guys are really wanting to hear from God and wanting to know what God is saying to you. And so when you come to one of the parables of Jesus... And when I come to the parables of Jesus, what we should be doing is really listening for God in these. And sometimes you might need to read it through four, five, six, seven, eight times and really think about it and wrestle with it and and go, well, God, what are you saying to me in this? Now, I'm not going to use too many of my own stories today because, to be quite frank, Jesus' stories are a whole lot better than mine. And there's a whole heap of them there today. And so today... Let's wrestle with these together. Six weeks ago, we very briefly touched on the topic that Jesus said that he was going to be a long time coming, but even so, we have to make sure that he's ready for when he does return. And and I only touched on it really briefly because I knew that we're going to be where we're at today, um, pretty shortly, where we have story after story of long time coming, but be ready. So we've got the story of Noah and the flood. Uh, The people were totally unaware and then all of a sudden the flood was upon them. And Jesus said, it's going to be the same when I come back. He told the story of two men working out in the field and two women grinding at the mill. One was ready, 
the other wasn't. He told the story of a thief breaking in and the homeowner being caught unawares. He told the story of a master of the house who went away for a while and one of the servants felt, oh, my master's being delayed and so he starts running amok. And then, of course, the the, uh, master comes home. He told the story of a wedding banquet with ten bridesmaids and the bridegroom was delayed and, and he turned up when five of them were not ready and they missed out. And so we've got story after story after story all driving home the same point that Jesus' return will seem like a long time away and seems like it's a long time coming and is he ever going to come? But we've got to be ready for when he does come. And the first thing we, re- we learn about when Jesus returns is there is an instant cut-off. Just like in the flood of Noah, life was going on all normal. Well, as normal as it can be when there's some loon building an unpowered ship miles and miles from the ocean. Um, but one Peter tells us that God was delaying the flood while Noah was doing his thing. And in Second Peter actually told what Noah was doing. Noah, it tells us, was a preacher of righteousness. Now, I'm pretty sure that there would have been plenty of people go out to have a bit of a gander at Noah's folly. Like, I, know, I grew up in Gundawindi and the mayor of Gundawindi at that time, he was building this ship, a steel ship in his backyard. Well, we thought it was a ship because it was enormous, but probably actually isn't that big. But he was building it out of steel in his backyard and, and it took decades for him to build this thing. Of course, he, he find, it was all big news when he finally finished it off and painted it and they put it on a truck and took it to the ocean. But, I mean, you'd always want to go past and look, has anything happened? Oh, yes, it's gotten rustier. And, um, but you'd always want to have a look. Now, I'm thinking if Noah was building this, this, this ship out in the middle of nowhere, people would be going out for a bit of a look. And what do you think they'd get told when they went for a look if, if Noah was a preacher of righteousness? Repent. And yet, we're told they were swept away completely unaware. Now, they were unaware not because they weren't told by, by Noah. They were unaware because they weren't listening to Noah. And they were unaware because they were looking at life. Well, life's normal. You know, there are people having good times. Couples starting out on a new life together. It says they're getting married and being given in marriage. Everything all going nice. And then... There was a cut-off. Noah and his family entered the ark and the door was shut and then the rain came and swept them away. And Jesus said, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The day that Jesus comes back is going to be the same as any other normal day. And I started thinking, well, what would a normal day look like in the world? Well, of course, it depends where you live. In some parts of the world, it's going to be the middle of the night and people are going to be asleep. Now, it doesn't matter if you are physically asleep when Jesus comes because there's going to be a fair bit of noise and you're going to wake up. You're not going to miss out. You don't need to worry about that. But we do have to make sure that we're not spiritually asleep when Jesus returns. In some parts of the world, people will be getting up and getting their breakfast. Some people will be heading off to work and some people will be coming home from work. There will be some people who are in the middle of prayer but others will be caught short and they'll be in the toilet. This is true. This is the way it's going to be when Jesus comes. Um, 
there will be some who are laughing because they've just seen something really funny on TV. But there's going to be some who are crying bitter tears because they've just discovered that somebody they love deeply has died. Somebody will be robbing a grocery shop. Others will be visiting the frail at the local old people's home. Some will be soldiers in the midst of battle being shot at and shooting back. Some will be in the labour ward cuddling for the very first time a newborn infant who has a very good set of lungs. The day that Jesus comes back is going to be the same as any other day. It will be when you least expect it. Everything will be completely normal. And then he's back. For goodness sake, like everyone was getting worried with the year 2000 or the year 2001, depending on your perspective of, of when the new millennium begins. Um, but I think that would have been just too obvious, wouldn't it? When Jesus says it's going to be at a time when you don't expect. Um, Jesus said it's going to be life as normal. You won't even know and then it'll happen. He's there. And when Jesus does come back, there's going to be an instant great division. Just like when Noah and his family were safe in the boat and the flood came and swept everyone else away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Now some people grasp hold of this just these couple of verses and say, there you go, there's, there's the pre-tribulation rapture. Jesus comes and takes all these people away. But no, he doesn't even say whether it's the good people or the evil who are taken. What it's showing us is there is a great division happening here. He doesn't say whether they're going to be taken away to judgment or whether the one taken away is taken away to glory. The point is, when Jesus returns, when this happens, the point is that there is an instant Great division. And the division is not on the normal dividing lines of what we see in the world today. The division is not between the rich and the poor. The division is not between the uneducated and the educated. The division is not between the first world and the third world. The division is not even between those who are alive and those who have died. The division, the great division is between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. The division is between those who are ready for the Lord's coming and those who are not ready for the Lord's coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us a bit about this. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And I think six weeks ago I said it's going to be loud enough to wake the dead, and it will. Um, the, the, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, there's nothing very secretive about this, is there? It's going to be visible. In another spot in the Bible tells us that we'll see it as like lightning. You can see it from, from the east right the way to the west. You can see it. And when Jesus comes, you're going to see it. Everyone in the world is going to see Jesus coming. And it's going to be noisy. Everyone in the world is going to hear it. 
Christians are not going to be secretly whisked out of the world before the great tribulation. This all happens when, reading from verse 39, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then, right, at that point of time, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. There's no second chances. It's an instant thing when Jesus comes back. And it is an instant great division. I told you a few weeks ago there's a very popular modern but unbiblical belief of what is called the pre-tribulation rapture and that's a belief, um, it's only been around for a couple of hundred years. Before then it was unknown in the church but that's a belief that before the big trouble begins Christians are going to be taken out of the world secretly by Jesus. Now um, it's very popular, um, It's particularly in North America, it's a very popular belief and comes through in a lot of the, Christ, the literature and movies and, and stuff that we that we get in our Christian bookshops. Um, So it's a belief that Jesus is going to return secretly and take Christians out of the world. Now, of course, the consequences of this is the thought that, hey, there's going to be a second chance because all of a sudden the Christians are going to be taken away um, and then we're going to have a big, long period of tribulation. Um, And, of course, people get a second chance during that period of tribulation but that's not so because when Jesus comes that's it that's the final that's the final thing he comes back and we have this great division don't you believe for a minute that there are second chances Jesus returns not secretly but visibly and audibly to the whole world and that point is the cutoff. Verse 44 says, therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at now that you do not expect. Not, gee whiz, it would be really nice if you were ready at that point. It's not, it would be good if you were ready or you know, you'll save yourself a lot of pain of having to go through the tribulation if you're ready. What did Jesus say? You must be ready. The story of the bridesmaids, five of them were wise. And they had the oil. They were ready to go, but five of them were foolish. They didn't have the oil. They weren't ready to go. And when they realised the bridegroom was on his way, they hurried off to make themselves ready, but they didn't have time. It was too late. The bridegroom came, and those who went with him went into the marriage feast, and the door was left ajar. No, the door wasn't left ajar. The door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, sure you've got another chance. Is that what he said? He said, I do not know you. There was this instant division, the instant cut off. The bridegroom returned, the door was shut, there was no second chances. When Jesus comes, that's it. If you're not right at that point with God, it's too late. So the lesson is, you don't know when Jesus is coming. I don't know when Jesus is coming. 
Jesus said that he didn't even know when he was coming back. Only God the Father knew. So it is critical, it is imperative to get ready, to get right with God right now. And the third point I'm going to make today is that to be ready actually means two things. It means to get ready and it also means to stay ready. Readiness is getting right with God and remaining faithful to him. So what does it mean to get ready? Can anyone here tell me, how do I become a Christian? Come on, you should know this. Who's going to tell me? I want to hear an evangelist. How do I become a Christian? Repent. Yep. What else? Seek forgiveness. What else? Make Jesus Christ Lord and Saviour. What else? Sorry? Become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's pretty much covered, hasn't it? When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, I'll tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. To get ready, we have to be born again. It is critical that we have this rebirth into Christ. God does not have any grandchildren. Right? God does not have any grandchildren. I can't get to heaven simply because my parents are God's children. You're either a son of God or a daughter of God or you are a stranger to God. And you can go to church all your life and not be ready. You could live a splendid and good and moral life and not be ready. You could be very religious and not be ready. You could even be a minister of a church and not be ready. You must be born again. And to be born again, we heard we have to repent. That means you turn your back on your old way of life, a life you've tried to live independent of God. You turn away from that and you begin to embrace this new life. You're being born again into a new life where you become totally dependent on God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is in need of a saviour. There is not a person here today who does not need a saviour. And the free gift of salvation is Christ died to take away our sin. And to get right with God, we accept this gift of salvation, we turn away from sin, we receive forgiveness as we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. It is critical to know that you are born again. It is critical to know that you are ready. And do not leave here today. I urge you, do not leave here today if you are not sure that you are born again. Do not leave here today if you are not sure that you are ready for when Christ returns. I'll be up here afterwards packing up and everything. Come up and interrupt me and say, Michael, I need to know that I'm born again. And we'll talk about it.
and we'll pray about it. But we're not saved to go on sinning. Jesus doesn't only want want us to make converts, he wants disciples. Jesus doesn't wash us clean so we can just go and roll in the mud again. We get ready through repentance and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and God does the rest. But to be ready means also to stay ready. And here I might tread on a few theological toes. Um, In chapter 23, which is well before we're talking here, Jesus is addressing the crowds and the disciples. But then the crowds leave and as chapter 24 begins, the crowds are gone and the disciples come privately to Jesus and they ask him about the end of the age. Right? And that's the context of this Bible reading that we had today. He's just spent a fair bit of time talking privately to his disciples about the end of the age, the end of the age and now he goes on with these stories, talking still privately just with his disciples. Are there any disciples of Jesus Christ here today? Anybody willing to own up to being a disciple of Jesus? Oh good, two of you. That's great. Is there anybody else willing to own up to being a disciple of Jesus Christ today? Goodness, if you won't own it in church, where will you own him? Eh? Right, well the two of you who who are disciples of Jesus can listen to this. The others might just um, twiddle your thumbs for a bit. Um, And I'd expect to see a lot of you up here afterwards. Um, (laughs) Do you think that this is perhaps pretty important to us? If we are disciples of Jesus, this is private teaching from Jesus to his disciples. Do you think it's important for us? Too right it is. This is what he says to his disciples. Now you'd think they'd be ready. They've left everything to follow Jesus. But he says this to them. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at now that you do not expect. And then... In chapter 25, verse 13, he says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, it's important for us to get this. To be ready means we also have to stay ready. To stay ready means to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. It means don't pull away. And this is where I could get in danger of treading on a few precious theological toes, because... Um, some denominations believe in, the, in a human phrase of once saved, always saved. Uh, they believe that it, it, once you become a Christian, you can never turn your back on God. Right? You, you could um, become a Christian and then you could say, well, I don't believe in God at all anymore. In fact, I'm going to go and be a Satanist and I'm going to sacrifice to Satan. And, and they say, you, you, st- you can't. Once, once, God's made you, once you, God's made you a Christian, you can't leave him. Um, And so I'm going to tread on those toes today because um, I think the Bible's very clear that you can turn your back on God. You can leave God. Nobody Nobody else can take you away from God. But you can take yourself away. I'm not sure how they can believe what they believe after reading some of these parables. Verse 42 says... Stay awake. It doesn't say wake up. He says stay awake. 
He's talking about people who are already watching and waiting for the return of Christ. Stay awake. That implies that they've already begun being ready and they're in danger of losing their vigilance. They're in danger of losing their readiness. Verses 45 to 51 are the story of the servant. Now, in the stories of, of the servant and the master, who do you think is the master? God, Jesus. Who, who, who are Jesus' servants? Us, Christians, his disciples. And verse 45 says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he returns. A good servant, a wise servant of God, is faithful. Right? A, a good Christian, a good disciple of Jesus Christ is faithful. They're faithful to God and they're faithful in their behaviour. Now, you don't want to be caught out doing the wrong thing when Jesus returns, do you? I don't. But I'm, sadly, the chances are pretty high that I might because God's still doing his work in me. But in this context... Faithfulness also means holding on to your Christian faith. Remember over the last few weeks we've been talking about what to expect when we're expecting and there was a lot of bad stuff there. Hey, As we approach the time when Jesus returns, there's going to be a lot of tough stuff. And we have to realise that this is a context in which Christians are going to be severely persecuted. It's the great tribulation, the big trouble. And at that time, Christians are going to be severely persecuted. It's going to be tough to stay faithful to God. Back in verse 10, it tells us that at this time, many will fall away. Many will betray one another. You know what that looks like? That looks like when somebody raids a home of a Christian, they say, right, oh, well, If you want to live, you tell us six homes of other Christians. That's pretty tempting, isn't it? So that your family don't get executed. And that's what it means to betray one another. Jesus was talking about Christians under pressure of persecution, losing their faith, betraying one another. And now he talks about a faithful servant continuing on, enduring to the end, being ready. And he continues. Truly I say to you, he'll set him over his possessions, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, what he's describing is a falling away from following God. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour that he does not know, and here's a very unpolitically correct verse, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? And you remember, this is a story that Jesus is telling about an unfaithful servant that gets caught out having... So we translate it. What's the story talking about? 
He's talking about when he returns. He's talking about Christians are his servants. How can this be anything other than a picture of hell? It's not a picture of once saved, always saved. That's for sure. It's not a picture of, yep, if you fall away and you're not ready, um, it's okay, we'll still drag you in by the skin of your teeth. No, this is a casting out. What it is, is it is a picture of endurance. Endure in your faith. And that picture keeps going on in, in the story of the bridesmaids. Ten of them started out with a lamp. Now what do you think that image is? Who are the light of the world? Christians are the light of the world. Ten of them have got lamps burning. Um, by the way, the types of lamps they're talking about is more like a torch um, wrapped around and soaked in oil. Okay? So that burns up the oil pretty quick. Five of them didn't have enough oil. They were all there waiting for the groom, but five of them didn't endure. They didn't have the staying power. That's probably the right word to describe it, staying power. As Christians, we have to have this staying power to continue on in the faith, to continue on believing in Christ, even when pressures come, even when it seems that Jesus is a long time coming. And the five that didn't have the oil, the five that didn't have the staying power, the door was shut on them. And the groom said, I do not know you. This is really important. That you do not lose your faith. That you do not lose your love for God, your passion for God, your vigour for God. Being ready for the return of Jesus means not only to become a Christian and say, oh, alright, she's all good now, I can do whatever I like. It means to hold on to your faith and it means to live by that faith. So my question for you this morning is are you ready? That's what these stories are about. Is to get us to struggle with these stories and listen to them and, and pray, God, speak to me. What are you saying in this? And you know what he's saying? Are you ready? Have you repented of your sin and received forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think more importantly for those who have been Christians for a long time to hear is are you maintaining your readiness? Are you standing strong in your faith? Are you living in a way that you're not going to be embarrassed when Jesus returns? Or do you have some major alterations that you need to make in your life? to improve your readiness. Any questions? Let's pray.
Well, God, I just pray for everyone who's here today, myself included. And Lord, we realise that these stories that you tell are so that we will struggle with them, wrestle with them, read them, dwell on them, and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, we acknowledge that you do speak to your people in a very real and a very personal way. Lord, we also acknowledge that when you do speak, that we cannot stay the same. When you speak, your word touches us. Sometimes it cuts us deeply. Sometimes it encourages us. But what, in whatever way your word affects us, Lord, we cannot stay the same. And Lord, I just pray that from these stories that Jesus told today, that you would highlight in, in each of our lives in which way we will be changed by you today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt us and urge us and encourage us. Lord, I want to thank you. This whole message today has been about getting right with God, staying right with God. And Lord, I want to thank you that we don't have to do that now in strength. We want to thank you that I'm just thinking about when Jesus prayed for his disciples and he um, he says it is not his will that he should lose any that you have given him. And Lord, we know that it is not your will that any of us fall away. So Lord, we know that Jesus is praying for us. We know, Lord, that that you desire us to stay faithful and to live lives of readiness and so Lord we thank you that we're not doing it alone we thank you Lord Amen